Welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden, your host. Thanks for joining me. Hope your spring is going as well as mine is. Well, except for the every other day snow. Yeah, it's been one of those springs around here. Maybe not for you, but nobody's complaining. If you grow anything, you are glad to have it. My rancher friends are dancing a jig about now. So uh, good on y'all and uh, stay warm and stay dry. You know, I I just sold a story on mountain quail to a magazine. You'll read it in a a month or two. It was kind of a last minute job. Uh, And it got me to thinking about other forest birds that we might chase. And that got me to thinking about my friend, Tim Linehan, out there in Montana, Orvis endorsed Montana guide for forest grouse, among other things. So we're going to talk at length to him about all of those spruce, blue, dusky, sooty, whatever you want to call them. We're going to talk forest grouse today. Of course, that's not all here on the Upland Nation podcast, the public access destination on our road trip this week. I'll leave you hanging on that one. It's a good spot with a great story attached. And the Upland Nation Glossary gets to the letter N. So start thinking about what you would put into the glossary if it was your N word. And finally, we'll be talking a little bit about, oh, a Facebook question I asked uh, on all my pages. And boy, did I get some great answers. I'm looking forward to sharing them with you. Perhaps you'll learn something, uh, I know I did, on your unwritten rules while hunting or handling dogs. It's all coming up on the Upland Nation podcast. First, I've been talking about Flick and how we're trying to get him to stop at the very moment he cuts his way into the scent cone victory. Uh, now I'm, I'm, I'm just refining it a little bit more. He's doing such a good job on singles, let alone coveys of practice pigeons. But he's stopping at 20, 25 yards now the moment he hits that. And if, if you've worked on this, you know what I mean. A dog will pretend not to notice that scent until he can road in on it and get right up next to where that bird has been planted. Yeah, we're working on breaking that, and it seems to be working so well. So good boy, Flicky. Good boy. What's your um, training situation these days? I know a lot of people working on one aspect of steadiness or another. And boy, I'll tell you, it is helpful to have a loft full of pigeons just on the other side of the property so I can get to them. If you don't have those, I'd be curious, what are you doing about the bird contact thing? Drop me a note and uh, let me know on Facebook or uh, my Gmail address go to findbirdhuntingspots.com and you can just click on contact us there that's an easy way to do it yeah the upland nation podcast is only made possible thanks to these great sponsors they give us the time and the funding to put this all together for you and then spread it out anywhere we can find a pair of ears who wants to listen they include Roughland Performance Kennels, Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Dr. Tim's Natural Performance Dog Food, Mid Valley Clays and Shooting School, the Ringneck Nation of Huron, South Dakota, and uh, my pet project, FurFeathersFriends.com. Well, I promised you a story to go along with this one. Let me tell the story, and then I'll tell you where we were. We were basically circumnavigating a little pond somewhere in South Dakota. And it was the third or fourth place we'd been to that all been bird rich. Uh, And it was Flick, and he was very young at the time. Um, We get to one spot, and I, I can't see him. It's all cattails all around the pond. And I, there's nothing moving. There's no noise to listen for. So I know he's on point and sure enough, beep, beep, there goes the collar. It tells me, the handheld tells me he's like right there. I can't see him. So I just kind of weave my way through pushing away. There he is on point but it's a funny looking point and you know if your dog has had any encounters with anything you know what i mean it's not a bird point i reach down open up part the cattails right at his nose and what's pointing him while he's pointing it 
a big boar raccoon. I mean, that was a 30 pound raccoon. He was frozen just like Flick was. And I thought, okay, this can't last too long. So I simply walked in between them, gave a little nudge to the raccoon who waddled away while I held Flick's collar because you know, you know, there were a lot of other outcomes that could have taken place. Dodge that bullet. Shot a bird not too far from there, although we got way away from that direction that the raccoon was going. Dropped that bird, decided to call it a day. I had a magazine assignment due the next day, so that helped a little bit. And then we went and celebrated with Mexican food and a visit to the Terry Redland Museum. You know where I am? Yeah. Watertown, South Dakota. If you haven't been there yet, you may as well take a look at it. It's way north for all the lakes they have. It may as well be Minnesota, but they got a lot more pheasants. Watertown, South Dakota. Yeah, and we are brought to you in part by Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products. They're crafted at the highest caliber. Sign up for the mailing list and get first notice of all the new stuff coming down. Always free shipping at sageandbreaker.com. I don't care what you're ordering. They'll send it to you free. And what you have available there is everything from cleaning to lubrication to protection. Whether it's hardware, tools, cases, you name it, find it at Sage and breaker.com and find your new shotgun or somebody else's new shotgun at legacysports.com slash pointer yeah the pointer shotguns are always available go to the website pointer shotguns it is legacysports.com slash pointer they'll tell you where to find a dealer They'll tell you all about the new Cerakoted finishes. I just got one today. In fact, it's in the bronze color. You'll see it in an upcoming video. They have everything from youth guns, over and under, semi-automatics, high-end to entry-level target guns, all sorts of finishes, including those cool Cerakoted colors. It's all available at LegacySports.com slash pointer. Well, like I said, I was writing about forest birds uh, for somebody. I don't even remember who now, (laughs) but it got me to thinking about Tim Linehan over there in Montana. He's one of those guides who, well, number one, he's an Orvis endorsed guide, both fishing and hunting. And, And you know how hard that is? Damn hard. But he's out there right now, and we're going to talk about forest grouse in particular. But before we do that, let's just find out what the heck's going on. Tim, welcome back to the Upland Nation podcast. What are you doing right now? Well, thank you, Scott. I really appreciate it. It's wonderful to be here, and um, always a pleasure to hear from you. I have, so we are in the midst of our season. We have started, we started a couple of weeks ago. We've got bear hunters, spring bear hunters on the ground, and then I actually have half of the crew over in central Montana. Uh, all of our local rivers around Libby and Troy, the Kootenai River in particular, are all blown out with big water right now. And so we, I take some of the crew and we head over to the Missouri River in central Montana and we run trips over here for a month of May and the first two weeks of June. And then we'll head home about the middle hmm, of June and things will be ready to go up there. So just you, back to it, back to it, day, day after day. You know, <laughs> and I, I've forgotten that, you know, when I was more, when I was making a, a show that was half fly fishing, I, I would hear every year about the, the runoff in Montana. You got it worse than anybody in the West. Yeah. We, well, additionally though, in a good way this year, Scott, we, mm-hmm. we, we had, we, from Missoula North up into my country, we had spectacular snowfall. So wow. we are still building. I talked to my wife today and literally in the high country, it was raining at 3,500 feet where our house is. Um, but up in the high country, they got another six to eight inches of snow. So we are still building. It has been one of those cold, wet springs with lots of moisture. We're about 112 or 15% of snowpack right now. I wish I could say that. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know, I know it's tricky. And I, I, I say that um, with a measure of um, 
you know, uh, concern for other areas for sure. Yeah. But uh, I'm glad for you for, for, for two reasons. First, of course, uh, you know, it, it, that means your, your su- late summer fishing will probably be pretty good as well. But Absolutely. also all yeah. of that means feed and cover for birds and, uh, yes. and we'll get around to that eventually. But first, give me a little bit of your backstory again. Let, bring us up to speed on, on what you're doing and how you got there. Yeah, so I, I I drove to Montana as a kid. I was super young. You mean you mean my like personal history, Scott? Yeah, 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 yeah. So so I drove to Montana as a kid. I was doing oh, let's see. At the time, I grew up in New Hampshire, and I was um, crazy for hunting and fishing. And it was pretty good in New Hampshire when I was growing up. Still pretty good in the New England states, actually. Um, but I was working. I got out of the University of New Hampshire, and I was working at a fly shop on the weekends. And it was when schools first started. And so they were doing, you know, you do you do a little bit of video. This was way before computers, way before <laughs> Wi-Fi, yeah. way before Internet and smartphones. And we would watch videos and tie some knots and teach people a little bit about the, you know, fly fishing 101. And then we would take them on the stream uh, in the afternoons on a Saturday and Sunday. And so um, – and then to cut to the, you know, make the story a little bit shorter, I was thinking, I drove home one day and I'm thinking, holy mackerel, I'm actually getting paid to take people fly fishing. And I thought, man, I think I'll go out west and see if I could make a run at it for, I thought it would probably be for one year. And I would, mm-hmm. you know, spend a, spend, spend a spring, summer, fall in Montana. And then I would get back to New Hampshire and get a real job and become an adult. And that was 33 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> And then, and that's actually the true story. Well, you you are the exception to the rule because there are a lot of fresh out of college kids who want, want to be a fishing guide until they realize you don't get to do much fishing when you're guiding. Right, right, exactly. And and it can be a little tricky to pay the bills. So you the, the other the other thing that you know a, a little business sense goes a long way as they say so i got i got super lucky scott i got very very lucky and i had a i had a lot of help and i had people my my folks are wonderful and I, anyway you know how it goes sometimes people say you make yeah, your own luck yeah. but it also helps to have a little luck yeah. a lot of luck yeah. well you know yeah. it's funny uh because i i'm sure i've mentioned this but you know the the when the outdoor channel wanted to go into high definition they called me and they said we want you to make a show you're going to be our guinea pig and and we want you to make a fly fishing show because we saw what you did there and there and there and we like that i said okay i can do that Uh, but you know i don't know if i can make that interesting enough can i put bird hunting in there too and they said sure um and and i thought it was a natural balance and you know almost a no-brainer to a degree do you see that with your clients as well do you have a a large number of clients a proportion at least that do both yeah yeah i think that's a really good point i think that um you know so we linehan outfitting has a full big game hunting operation as well we're 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 crazy hunting yeah (laughs) but but to, to your point to your point though there is a substantial crossover between the wing shooting world and the fly fishing world no doubt and i think that I think that um, after all these years, it's a it's a sensibility more than anything, and I think that um, you know people who people who love to fly fish also like to you know uh, hunt the uplands because this it, it, it employs a lot of the same sensibilities as far as you know. Oftentimes, it's not about numbers; it's a lot more about the experience. It's not necessarily about trophies; it's more about the experience. And let's face it, uh, in the end, we go hunting and fishing, but at least with, 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 with the fly fishing world and the wing shooting world, um, the adventure of the day is 60, I hope, at least these days, I like to think 60 or 70% of the, the day is, is the adventure, if you know what I mean? And it just it puts you in a wonderful place and it, it allows you to do some things that you otherwise maybe, you know, maybe wouldn't experience. And maybe you get a bunch of birds, maybe you get a bunch of fish, maybe you don't, but, but trying is wonderful and fun, and that's the idea. Uh, amen to that. Absolutely right, and I'm glad to hear it from you. And and that means you hear it a lot as well. And I bet that's pretty gratifying for a guide or an outfitter. It is. It is. I think that you know the the, the it's tricky sometimes. Um, you know, everybody wants success, and I I, I always find it necessary to maybe remind myself that nobody wants it more than your guide <laughs> on, on, on a specific level. But, but on the other hand, 
uh, it, it is, it is, it is, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a specific measure of satisfaction in leaving it all on the water or leaving it all in the uplands. You know what I mean? Yeah. All you can do, we, we, we go hunting and we go fishing, Scott. That's the end of it right there. Yeah. You know, there's uh, someday I'll, I'll spend a, a week working on the upland bird version of this, but in fly fishing, you've heard it. I've heard it. First thing you want to do when you learn how to fish is catch a fish, any fish. Then you want to catch a lot of fish. Then you want to catch a big fish. Then you don't care about catching anything anymore. It's yeah. true. Yeah. So, yeah. so tell me, what about the people who are not quite to that point yet? Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you know, so th th that's <laughs> first of all, that's it's very true. The cliche is true because people say it over and over. I guess that's why they become cliches. But I would the, the journey is also wonderful. I mean, the evolution of watching somebody, I mean it's 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 really fun for me to still after all these years to have somebody who may be in that middle where they still want to catch a lot of fish. And that's it but that, but 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 you're in the journey with them and and that's wonderful. You know what I mean? That's a, that's a, that's a it's a fine place to be and a fun place to be. Uh and 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 it's 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 different. Uh, those three um, points of view that you just mentioned are absolutely true. And it's fun to experience each of those with individuals who are in each of those different places. I, I don't know if that necessarily made sense, but um, it's, it's, it's all good and we're all in different places. And, uh, you know, you, you, you have a starting point and you have, a, and you have an evolution uh, in the fly fishing world. And I would also say in the wing shooting world and um, – the journey is wonderful. Well, that's uh, I think that's all I can say. <laughs> well, that, that, that's a very zen way to put it, and it's absolutely right. You know, especially as as a guide, you know, you you don't have a lot of choice. You're going to be there anyway, so you you may as well go along for the ride, so to speak. Exactly, exactly. That's 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 actually just summed it up right there. Uh, Tim Linehan, Orvis endorsed wing shooting and fly fishing guide have you ever had a client that you absolutely positively would never for a million dollars ever guide again you know it, it, um i get asked that frequently scott um i have been extraordinarily lucky no is the straight answer mm -hmm. it, re it, it really and honestly is and the the, the reason i'm a, you know i sometimes think to myself i'm amazed because i have lots of colleagues and i hear all these horror stories and i for the life of me and this is this is just truth i i, I have never had that experience i've had some very awkward days mm -hmm. i've had some i've had some very difficult days but i've never been in a place where i felt like i do not want to spend the day with this person again wow and i, and I don't I, I think i don't i couldn't even tell you why maybe i'm just super lucky um I would say, you know, to be a little bit more forward, I would say there are days when I'm, eh, I kind of hope they don't call back, <laughs> but not that, not, <laughs> not the same thing as, you know, I, I, I just, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm going to tell this guy, yeah. you have to leave. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I, I've yeah. been lucky and I, I don't, I don't know why Scott, I really, I really don't. I think that, um, in a manner of speaking, um, I learned early on, both Joanne and I, I always say I, I use the pronoun I, and I mean we, but both Joanne and I learned early on, you can't be everything for everybody, and we just learned early on to tell people and be very honest with people what we are and what we aren't, what we have to offer and what we don't have to offer. Yeah, and I think yeah. that has saved me from some of those places whereby someone might be in that position to be kind of cranky and put me in a position where I don't want to see you again. You well, know what I mean? I, so, I think that's what it is. So I, I, I go to fishmontana.com to find a hunting guide, which, uh, okay, everybody listen again, fishmontana.com <laughs> to, to book your forest grouse hunting group. Uh, and and you and I talk on the phone, or Joanne and I talk on the phone, and I, you know, uh, maybe, you know, maybe it's mental telepathy or something else. How do you think these people understand? What do you tell them in terms of the expectations that you just described as managing? Yeah, that's a terrific question. Uh, so, so the first thing we tell them is, <clears throat> well, the first thing we do is listen. I, I think that's probably a better way to approach it, Scott. The first thing I do is listen. The first thing I do, actually, is I ask a couple of questions. 
and, or we do, we do, we do. We ask a couple, you know, usually people call the first thing they do is, hey, I got some questions for you. Okay, but hold on, hold on, ma'am. Hold on, sir. I would like to ask you a couple of questions. Yeah, yeah. What do you look, what, what, what are you expecting out of this trip? What do you, what would you like to accomplish during this trip? What would you like to, um, you know, you're going to spend some good money and you're going to spend some good time and time is the commodity. Uh, what, what do you hope to get out of it? And that immediately, I think, Scott, gives us a, an opportunity to sort of, assess where these people are, what they're expecting, and maybe save a lot of time and effort um, in having to explain to them that, nope, you're not going to get a limit every day. Nope, you're not going to catch a bunch of fish every day. Nope, you're not going to, you know, whatever. You know what I mean, Mm -hmm, Scott? mm -hmm. So so any more, and I think it probably took us a few years, but but I would say, you know, oftentimes I will let people ask questions. Joanne will let people ask questions. Uh, but then we will stop after a certain point and say, okay, I got a couple of questions, you know, for you. And and that, I think, serves us very, very well to, to you know, to your – to the to to the point of view that you were wondering about, yeah, yeah. Insofar as what what do we tell people? And we just tell them, you know, if you're looking for a bunch of fish, if you're looking for a bunch of birds, uh, good, good for you. There's nothing wrong with that. But we're not the business. We we don't have that business model. You know what I mean? We mm-hmm. are much more about, um, you know. In the end, we go hunting, we go fishing. Scott, Mother Nature is going to do whatever the heck she wants each day, and that is just the way it goes. Love it. Now back to that awkward client. <laughs> <laughs> right. Who? Now, how? How did? How did that person make your day so awkward? You know. So it was actually. Um, it was actually a pair of people. It was a husband and wife, and the well, reason it was that's, awkward, that explains yes. it all, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. I, I, <laughs> okay, I, know. I gotta break it. I, I gotta quit, break I it. Quit right there. Yeah. When I was doing a lot more fishing with pro guides, I'd ask every one of them, "What's the number one rule?" And the number one rule is to a guide. Everyone said the same thing: never try and teach your spouse how to fly fish. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Okay, yep, but back to true. your story. <laughs> no, 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 no. That 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 is so true. I this this was this was this was just this was just awkward because I, I mean it's sad to say, but I think they were on their last leg, and I think mm. they took a they took a vacation to, mm-hmm. to to see if they could you know maybe patch up the oh, relationship. Boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so it was. It was it like and every this is this is very very common on, uh, among guides and um, among all my colleagues and everybody has one of these stories and you, you end up playing quasi marriage counselor and that is just awkward that is just no fun that is just kind of a difficult day because nobody's particularly <laughs> no wow. one's particularly happy you know what I mean yeah. So yeah it was just very more than anything it wasn't it wasn't awful it was just awkward and you know what i what i I, i'm gonna be super straight up with you what i really wanted to say was hey kids i should just call it quits everybody deserves to be happy in life go your separate ways (laughs) go your separate ways and be happy i didn't say that (laughs) no i think you need a a different license to tell them that though (laughs) exactly exactly (laughs) oh oh my you're listening to the upland nation podcast that's tim linehan he's a fishing and hunting guide in montana But in the other side of Montana, most of the time when he's hunting, I'm Scott Linden, your host. Oh, yeah. You know, let's talk about forest grouse. (laughs) That was the intent. Um, And for a bunch of reasons, uh, I live at the foot of the Cascade Mountains. There's a lot of grouse up there. I always drive the other way out to the desert and chase chuckers and, and, uh, and quail. But I do really want to work harder on those mountain grouse. You know, in a nutshell, what what are the changes, mental shifts that somebody like me would have to make to go into the woods instead of onto the prairie? Great, great question. Great question. Immediately, um, you're not going to see. You're you're literally not going to see what you see on the prairie. Now that that may sound obvious, Scott, but 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 we you know they, they call them forest grouse for a reason. So so immediately, uh, a lot of people are a little intimidated by. Gee whiz, I'm never going to get a shot, and that's not necessarily the way to go about it. The way to go about it is to just just uh, make the adjustment and think to yourself, okay, this is very, very different. I am not on the prairie. These birds are not going to get up. I'm not going to be able to see them. But so long as it's safe, 
so long as everything everybody is everybody's in place so long as you know where the dogs are they don't fly through trees so i often tell people don't be afraid to take a shot so long as it's safe and 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 that's really i mean on on one level that's maybe the biggest factor that i think people are intimidated by the biggest the biggest concern people have is i'm never going to be able to get a shot off mm-hmm. how am i going to be able to get a shot off right mm-hmm. does that make sense i mean well, you, yeah. you know you're on the prairie spot a bird gets up you can see it for you can see it everywhere you can see it for 180 degrees in your in your forward vision right mm-hmm. even sometimes you swing around you can turn around and take going away the, the one thing about forest grouse is your your the visual perspective is narrowed tremendously but they can't fly through trees. You still can make a good shot, and a couple of pellets knock a bird down. It's so true. And you know what's ironic about all this? And every time I shoot skeet, I think about it. Of course, skeet was invented by a bunch of rough grouse hunters. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they forgot one important part. What they should do is, you know, uh, about eight, 15 yards out uh, in front of all the stations, they should put some telephone poles. <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. Anybody out there, you take it and run with it. Just name it after me. But, <laughs> right. But but I I have killed so many alder trees over the years, uh, and you know, I got the you know the best part about that is the taxidermy is really cheap, but um, <laughs> but people people are just disinclined to shoot at stuff that doesn't have feathers on it, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and they're disinclined to shoot at something that they can't really see. And the one thing I tell people when we're, you know, when hunting forest grouse is again, 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 and again and again, provided that you know where the dogs are, provided that you make a safe shot, nothing low, um, nothing, you know, no, know where your, you know, partners are. Right, safety first. Right, I mm-hmm. think everybody, your, your listeners are probably well aware of that. But I often use the word shoot the shadow yeah. because that's often what you get. Right, you're only gonna, it's kind of, it's gonna be more or less a shadow. Um, blazing through the timber through the brush uh but but get out ahead and you know a couple of pellets again i'm repeating myself but a couple of pellets will knock down a forest grouse blue grouse are a little bit different and i mm-hmm. suspect we'll get there but yeah. they can take a they can they can take a wallop ruffies and spruce grouse a couple of pellets will knock you know unlike a rooster unlike a unlike a sharpie unlike a hun you know they're all generally speaking kind of tough birds sometimes um but I'm always amazed at forest grouse in, in on one love. They're tough birds because they could make it through a big winter, but a couple pellets knock down sprucers and sprucies and, and roughies pretty pretty easily. Yep. Do you do you have a uh, speaking of the, the different kinds of birds, do you load your gun differently depending on what you're going after, or do you do, are you almost always taking potluck at whatever flies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 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 they they, they do they do um they are found in kind of different places. Ruffies and sprucers will definitely uh, overlap. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You can be yeah. going along yeah. and dog goes on points, God, and I'm not really sure till it gets up. You know what I mean? It could be a spruce. It could be a rough. Uh, blue grouse, uh, as you well know, a little higher in elevation. So they're going to be, you know, they're going to be a little bit different to hunt. You're going to go, you know, it's gonna, you, you're going to get there first and then you're going to hunt blue grouse. But to your point, yes is the answer. You In my country, even though... You know, blue grouse are, I mean, I'm sorry, spruce, sprucers are a little bit thicker, a little more conifers. Ruffies are sort of that edge, mm-hmm. edge area, even in my, you know, even in my country, right? Edge of, edges of clear cuts and edges of alders and things like that. But, but in my country, you could, they, they certainly overlap and you could, you know, you could, you could, you could find either of those two species. Blues being a little bit different, repeating myself now, but you have to climb first and then get into them. How high are you going for those? Uh, good question. So they're a reverse migrator. So yeah. this time of year, yeah, they're an interesting bird, right? So this time of year, they're kind of low, and then they start to move out of the river bottoms, and they move up in, in elevation. In my country, northwest Montana is really interesting up where I am. Um, it's not super, super high. I mean, we have some peaks that are, you know, eight or 9,000 feet, but for the most part, uh, my blue grouse are 4,500 to 5,000 five and a half thousand something like that okay so so i want to go and i want you to take me and i want you to everything you do i want you to tell me why you're doing it so we get out of the truck and what's the besides the safety talk and uh and get the dogs ready uh what's the first thing you're going to tell me as we as, as we walk away from the truck pace yourself yeah 
Yeah, pace yourself. I, I often find that everybody wants to jump out of the truck and go, 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 go. And it's a long day. We're going to put in some miles. We're going to beat some brush. Um, we're going to have some opportunities, right? But I often, these days, I think more than anything, I tell people to pace themselves. And I often remind people that communication is another good thing, right? Communicate with your guide. Communicate with your outfitter, so to speak, Scott. Tell me. Talk to me. Talk to me. Jeez, Tim, it's 2 o'clock. My, my, my legs are wobbly. Is there any chance we can do something a little bit flatter, a little bit, you know, a little less strenuous, right? Rather than up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. So, so the first thing I tell people is pace yourself and be a good communicator. I need to know what you're feeling. I need to know what you're thinking. That's what I tell people. What about strategy? Now, again, walking away from the truck, are you going to go north, south, up, down, flat? Yeah. Tell me, tell me how you would plan a hunt. Yeah. So it kind of depends. So the thing about, the thing about my country, let's just let's just stick with roughies and sprucers. Okay. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. So if we stick with roughies and sprucers, the first thing I would tell people is we are going to hunt shorter covers. It's not like you're compared to, say, when you're hunting on the prairie for pheasant, sharpies, huns, right? You might park the truck and you might walk a mile and a half, two miles, Scott, two, three hours. You might do a morning hunt in one area, what let's just call it one field, right? One one sure. one one bit of habitat, right, as you well know. And in, in my in my area at least, and I think generally speaking with roughies in particular, in my case we have spruce grouse, but it's more about maybe you get in, you hit the best part of the cover, and you get out again. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you find them you, great. If you don't find them, on to another cover. So, so as far as strategy goes, it's more about I'll hit two or three covers in a morning and two or three covers in an afternoon, and get the dogs down. Let them run hard. If we don't find them in the best part of the cover, it doesn't mean they aren't there. It doesn't mean that I won't hunt it three or four days from then, you know, from 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 the previous hunt. But but there are, I have there's such available habitat. Those birds in particular are noted for. They don't go very far, but you may or may not run into them on a one-hour hunt, and then you bum out and you go to another one. But two or three days later, you go right back in, and there they are. Are are roughies in your country? See, we we don't have classic rough grouse habitat like the Upper Midwest or the Northeast where you where you started your hunting career. Right. Um, we right. don't have the cut over ground, and then the you know the young alders, the popple, whatever you want to call it. What what kind of cover are you hunting for rough grouse out there? So 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 in my neck of the woods, literally up in northwest Montana, it's logging country. Yeah, and so I I am hunting cutover areas. That's okay. exactly what I'm doing. Yep, exactly, right. Scott. I mean, you you nailed it. Just kind of kind of edges mm-hmm. edges. Um, always a little bit of water. Always what I would say a spring seep. Always a little moist area. Right. It may not have water in July. Uh, no, I was going to say July. I'm totally. <laughs> Uh, we, we better not. You know, yeah, we better uh, not no, be out we'll, there. We'll, we'll, <laughs> just, uh, yeah. yeah, kids, don't try that at home. Right. <laughs> exactly. In September or October, it may not have water, but you know, it's cool and it's mm-hmm. damp, mm-hmm. and it is it is on an edge. And so, in my in my in my area, Scott, twenty to forty year old. What what you know what would be cut over areas, and in my area we call them clear cuts. Yeah. You know what I mean? They were yeah. they were they were logged areas that are that are growing back, and that's classic rough grouse habitat. Yep. And but they're not growing back uh, alders; they're growing no. back. They're growing back right. uh, conifers. That's correct. So yeah. I would also say this. I would add this. Compared to what I did growing up in New Hampshire, it was, you know, we, we you know, pumping alder, right? You'd be blasting through alder all yeah, day and yeah. you'd be pushing and, and moving alder out of your way. There are way more conifers up in my country, but it's still edges. It's still, there's always a wet spot. There's always a cool spot, but you are absolutely right. Way more conifers, but still, if you think of a big block that was logged and you draw, you know, uh, a, a rectangle, right? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll park the truck and go up an old logging road, pop into the timber, which is 20 or 50, 40 years old. And it's probably six to 12 inch lodgepole pines and spruce and things like that, but intermittent. And it's not super, super thick. And then also some, 
some sort of you know native vegetation brush and things like that and then mm-hmm. it will also have as i mentioned scott it will also have some version of a wet spot a cool spot generally speaking alder yep all right so um we've gotten started on our rough grouse hunt and uh you put put a dog or more dogs on the ground what are you running these days Still have English setters. Yes. Yep, I had golden retrievers for a long time. I was one of the few guys that actually hunted golden retrievers for many, many years. And yeah. um, we just lost an old girl in the winter, and we'll probably get another retriever. But I but I, I came to setters, oh, boy, I don't know, 12, 15 years ago, and um, that's what I'm running. Yep. Uh, why do you like them so much? I really think they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. I like because they're they're lovely i also i think i think what i like most both joanne and i really what we love most about setters is they are they're couch potatoes around the house and they're tigers in the woods that's what i love about them there you go <laughs> how, how do you keep them in shape um you know all summer you're you're in a drift boat or you're you're wading somewhere on a beautiful trout stream hopefully one i can visit sometime soon but um but th- these dogs do they get much conditioning in the off season yeah, they really do. We're super fortunate. So where we live, we just let them in and out. They can do whatever they want. You know yeah, what I mean? They, yeah. they, 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 they go sit by the door and they go out and they may, you know, they may mouse in the field and do whatever. But we, we actually do work on that very, very diligently. And one of the things that we do, like, for instance, right now, um, you know, I'm away, but Joanne, I, I spoke to her five minutes before, you know, I picked up the phone for this conversation and she was, yeah, okay, I got to get the girls out. So, so we work really, really hard. It becomes, you know, in keeping them, working hard at keeping them in shape. Yeah. It becomes a little more difficult. You're right. July, August, it's a little more difficult, but generally speaking, I'm off the water by six, you know, six ish, mm-hmm. and I'll get, mm-hmm. I'll get home at seven thirty or so. And the first thing I'll do, I mean, we just make it a point and we take them out and we get them, you know, the nice thing is, as I said, we have huge available country and we literally, I'll just drive up the road a half a mile, pop up a logging road and they just run and run and run and we'll try and do an hour. And that nice. gets me back to the house at eight thirty. That gives me time to do some email, get my stuff together and then be ready, you know, for the morning. So we, we do, we just keep them in shape all year. We're lucky though. We can just literally go out the back door much like I assume you can as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I wanted all the wannabe guides to listen carefully to what you just said because your day ends. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know what time, but it's way after that. Yeah. <laughs> right there there are days there are days i would never short them because they're lovely and beautiful and they and they are amazing and uh that's what they need and you you have to um, pay attention to their needs as well absolutely yeah. <laughs> well you, you you take a break for a moment you deserve it i'm going to make a few commercial announcements everybody else uh, pay attention we've got a lot more to come more from tim linehan fishmontana.com if you're goofing around find him on the website and learn more about where he is and what he does we've got the upland nation glossary the letter n is the one we're on so think up all those good n words and then we're going to share some of the unwritten rules that you wish your fellow hunters would follow yeah right after a couple messages the first from audiocardio.com yeah it's kind of like physical therapy for your ears plug in your earbuds it's an app go about your day try it free for 14 days at audiocardio.com just go to the website and watch the two-minute video. If you don't slap your forehead and wonder why nobody had thought of this before, well, you're the exception, not the rule. Learn more about the free trial, how you can get this app and use it for 8 bucks and 33 cents a month. Get your ears in shape, such as it is, at audiocardio.com. And you know, the same technology that keeps race car drivers safe, keeps your dog safe in a Roughland kennel. Learn more about the technology at roughlandkennels.com. These are the folks who pioneered roto-molded dog crates. They figured it all out. There's a vast difference between their single wall crate and the double wall crates. The single wall crates dissipate energy should you unfortunately become involved in some sort of an altercation with somebody else's rig your dog will literally bounce off that wall 
as if it were built of springs. Now, the rigid double wall kennels uh, mean your dog crashes into, uh, well, an unyielding force. I think there's a physics lesson in all of that. Go to roughlandkennels.com and learn more about the technology and why it works so well. Roughlandkennels.com. And we're back in Montana somewhere. Hey, yeah, speaking of that, Tim Linehan is our guest here on the Upland Nation podcast. Fishmontana.com is where you learn more about his fishing, his big game, and my favorite subject, bird hunting. Tim, do you base yourself out of where when you're fishing the Missouri River? So we're in Craig, Montana. I'm literally speaking to you from Craig, Montana right now, and it is a lovely little place. Um... Three fly shops, four fly shops, another little fly shop up in Wolf Creek, Montana, and it's between Helena and Great Falls. And the fishery, the the, the, the uh, Missouri River fishery is below Holter Dam, and it runs hmm, 45-ish miles down to Cascade, Montana. So a wonderful fishery in central Montana. And uh, just for fun, how was your day? Uh, always sounds like a guy's story. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful. What an extraordinarily great day. It was just one of those great days, actually. Literally, Scott, yeah. It's funny you ask. All time, you know, just a, just a great day. Great day. But a lot of it was conditions. A lot of it was, um, uh, you, you know how it goes. Some some days everything comes together. So terrific day today. Yep. Well, good for you because I'm getting pumped for my first big float next week. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have a at least a mediocre day. Anytime I'm yeah. in the, if I'm in the boat, you should be grateful for mediocre. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Yep. So back to the, uh, we talked rough grouse, uh, spruce grouse. Um, the one that, you know, if, if you want to talk about a bucket, li- bucket list grouse and it's not sage grouse, it's the big bird. Let's talk a little bit about that. Tell me, tell me how you change your strategy when you're going after them. Yeah. So, so, so 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 blue grouse. I I, I think t- taxonomically they're now dusky where I am, um, and sooty guys, where I am. I think. Yeah, I'm not exa- sure. exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly, Scott. I think so. I think that's correct. Yeah, but but I I, I still like to call it the blue grouse. <laughs> um, so the the biggest difference between hunting roughies and spruce and versus compared to blue grouse is where they live, location. Yeah. So we are. I mean, you can find rough grouse in my area. You can find spruce grouse up at elevation. But for the most part, there is a um, a delineation between the, the, the roughies, sprucers, and blue grouse. You know what I mean? So, so, so blue grouse, we're going we're gonna to hike. You're going to climb. You're going to get up into the sort of um, what most people might, might, might consider upper elevations, even though in my country, it's not super, super high, but, but let's just say we hunt roughies and spruce from 33,000 feet, 2000, 2000 feet to about, you know, maybe 40, 4,500 feet. We're going to start at 4,500 feet in my country for blue grouse. Doesn't yeah. mean you might find somebody on the valley floor once in a while, but for the most part, 4,500 and above. Additionally, they really, really like open country. They're way different from roughies and sprucers, which yeah, let's face yeah. it, much prefer kind of thicker stuff. But blue grouse want to be up on the ridge tops. Um, they love dug fur, a little more open country, up on those sort of parky areas uh, with dug fur as a as a, as as the main conifer. But really spaced out, and for the most part, you know, very very open. I often am surprised people are like, holy mackerel, you know, we're, we're hunting up here. They're going to be up here. You know, they don't necessarily associate forest grouse with such open country. Um, but, but blues are a different animal, different bird for sure. Yeah. And just, just for fun, you know, m- most people, you know, many of the few grouse and woodcock I've shot for a uh, rough grouse I've shot, uh, they're almost found by accident. But the, your dogs have been around this game for a little while. What kind of dog work can we expect if we're going with somebody like you? You know, I, I, I mean, y- you have to be careful. You never, <laughs> you never want to brag on your bird dogs or uh, another cliche. And I, again, yeah. your cliche is because everybody says it. You never want to brag on your dogs because they'll break your heart the very next hunt. Uh, but, 
but I, I am proud of my dogs. I say that with a measure of humility uh, also. But I think not but. And, and Scott, um, people can expect – the, the first thing I do is Joanne and I both, we, we, we concentrate mostly – I'm not a great trainer. I, I, I probably should start this answer <laughs> um, and, and try and be succinct as possible without getting too lengthy. I'm not a great trainer. I wouldn't even call myself a trainer, Scott. I typically buy a great breeder um, and buy good bloodlines. And Joanne and I work diligently on obedience and manners. And then for all intents and purposes, my philosophy is put them on wild birds Mm -hmm. and nurture their instincts. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much, um, you know, how I roll. My dogs are good. They're going to they're going to stay close. They're going to behave. And what I love most about my dogs and and what people might expect from my dogs is they're not chasing bunnies. They're not chasing deer. They're not. They're they're doing one. we, We put the collar on. Uh, Scott and my dogs are hunting birds. That's what they're doing all day, and that and that's really that's all I can ask of them. That's all I can hope for. That's all I can, frankly, pray for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got one of those. Yeah, yeah. So how would you say hunting close? You know, they're still English setters. I mean, they're yeah, still a pointing breed. How close is close for you in the woods? Right. That was so super great question. Super great question. My, my dogs are never going to be, I mean, you know, I'm running GPS now a little bit, although not entirely. I do sometimes, for the most part, I'll run bells or even, you know, for a couple of them, like for the young dog, I had her on a beeper just so I sure. could hear exactly where she was, you know mm-hmm. what I mean, which mm-hmm. I, which I really kind of, I kind of like. I don't really like that tone when you're out there. It's kind of, you know, kind of weird to be in the woods and hear a beep, 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 but it works very, very well. But my dogs are probably never more than 100 yards, maybe maybe 50 or 70 yards from me which may sound quite a ways away, but oftentimes um, they're way closer than that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So, sure. so it, it, it's pretty, it's pretty tight. Um, and the nice thing is I work with them when they're very, very young to, to come around. And so even if they are out there a hundred or so yards, uh, I don't really have to hit the whistle much anymore. I don't really have to spend much time doing that. Um, they get out there and unless they go on point, I will see them every two and a half or three minutes. And that's, you know, maybe that's not quite the answer as far as distance goes, but they stay very, very close. And that's what I want. Now, what's interesting is as soon as I take them over on the prairie, Joanne and I don't guide over there, but Joanne and I love to go across and chase Sharpies and Huns in, in central Montana, eastern Montana. And then they just kind of, they get it. You know what I mean? They want yeah, to be out there yeah. two or 300 yards and that's mm-hmm. perfectly okay. But But they know... They know that that when when you know when we're working and we're we're doing what we do at home, um, they're to be a lot closer. And so I would say, you know, straight straight answer, oh boy, you know, fifty yards, Scott, fifty yeah. yards at the most, and sometimes way closer than that. Yeah. Well, that you know, any well-bred, versatile dog should adjust to the cover. Yeah, and exactly. It sounds like you've got those, and it doesn't surprise me. Uh, Ah, uh, the bell thing. You clearly you you've decided the bell isn't going to scare a bird. Nah, nah, not 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 in a million years. I mean, I mean, once in a while. So I have such vast amounts of country and 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 innumerable, just 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 so many covers that over these many many thirty three years that I I typically don't have to hunt a cover more than once during a season. I I really do not believe that bells don't necessarily mm-hmm. uh, change, change the hunt, Scott. Now, I yeah. would, I would, I would, I, I know, I, I know you, we probably have some pheasant hunters uh, listening right now that would disagree, and I would agree with them entirely, right? Though, though, you know, you, you get over on the prairie and you start making noise, you close the truck door. We yeah. all know that. Yeah. Seven roosters jump up 500 yards away and they take off. You know what I mean? But not, not so much with forest grouse. Definitely not. Yep. So um, here's the problem. I, I love bells. My dogs hate bells. In fact, the first couple times I put a bell on a dog's collar, he stops moving. He, he doesn't want to make it jingle. Yeah. So, but my dilemma with a bell is when you need to find your dog, there's no bell to listen to. Right. Yeah. So how do you use it or, or do you use it in that way? Yeah, well, well. So I don't necessarily use it in that way. As I said, I have just started now. First of all, my my dogs are pretty darn close. Yeah. And, and if that bell stops, I will know. 
I will know, okay, guys, right side, 30 or 40 yards, sure. just go. And, yeah. and they're white. They're English setters. You'll see her. You'll see her. Just keep going, guys. Mm-hmm. You know, she'll be there. She'll be there. But I, I do I do like the technology. I'll have to say, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily the techie guy at all. Um, but I do like the technology, Scott. I have started to run them with GPS, which which I have found to be um, a little it, – it just takes a little bit – it just takes a little while to get used to because I'm, I also hate looking down at, 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 at what yeah. – some, ver- some version of a phone. You mm-hmm, know what I mean? Right? Mm-hmm. Right, a, piece, a piece of electronics. But, yeah. but, I, also, but I also have decided that is, it, it is a terrific tool. And so, so I, I hit you know, the, the, the bell goes quiet, and if, if nobody can see them, that's then when I will just, you know, pop up. You know, pop up my my my, my GPS. And say, yeah. Okay, guys. Yeah, forty yards to your right, and you'll see her. You know, take your time. She's not going to go anywhere. You know what I mean? So th- that works pretty well. Yep. Yeah, and there. By the way, Tim, there is no twelve-step program yet for us guys who look at that handheld every thirty <laughs> I know. seconds. I know. But uh, there is hope for both of us, and I'm I'm working on something else with Flick, my my wire hair right now, and that is getting him to come around a little bit more frequently and work a little tighter told yeah. a, a nightmare story a few weeks about a few weeks ago about him getting lost around a big butte that bl- broke off the gps signal oh so, here yeah. so we're working a little bit on that and and one way we're working on that is using the the tone part of the uh the uh collar that, great tool right. it, great it does work uh, if yeah. you just work on it and and i'm also finding that he's actually tightening his own pattern a little bit for some reason he's maturing a little bit more or figuring things out or realizing i'm the giver of birds you know if i'm going that way it's because i think the birds are that way and he says well that's what i want you know so he goes and uh you know it's it's a process how do you turn your dogs Uh, do you train for that well so so that that, that's also these are really it's it's always so fun to talk to you scott (laughs) That's a, that's a great, I'm pretty that's good, a, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's a great. That, you know, that's. A, I think that the the reason I say that's a great question is because we all we all we all wonder about that, right? Yeah. I wonder how everybody else does it. You know, yeah. I I. So for many many years, I used a whistle. I don't even really bother much with the whistle. If someone mm-hmm. gets a little too far out, I might blast a whistle. I still have a whistle around my neck. But we, I. Both Joanne and I train our dogs to come around as puppies, yeah. and they're, they're never to go out too too far. And that that then you know when they're puppies, we I am working the whistle. They'll go out twenty thirty yards, beep beep, and and cast them back. You know what I mean? And so and and they they so my dogs are taught at a very very early age to just come around. It's kind of it's kind of it's part of our obedience training. I would sure. not, as I said, I am not a dog trainer. I want to be very clear with all. All your listeners, Scott, I'm not. If somebody asked me for advice, I would be like, yeah, you, you should probably call a real trainer. <laughs> but one thing that I, that Joanne and I both do well is obedience, and we see coming around as obedience. That's how we train them, and we we, we you know we drive that through through the process as they're you know from puppyhood to to one or two years old. Absolutely. Okay, so you blow the whistle, but then do you do something? A lot of people just turn and walk the other way, for example. Spaniel, yeah, that, Spaniel that works, guys yeah. will do a lot of that. Yep, yep, that works really well too. Or yeah. what I tip what 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 we what we really love is what we will also do too is we will stick our arms straight up yeah. in the air. That, yeah. And that means that means that means return. You know what I mean? That means yeah. come back. Come around, yeah. come around, yeah. come around. Yep. Good. Well, that's good to know because I'm going to try it tomorrow on my dog. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, well, I hope you have some success. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what is it about these forests? I mean, you, you're in a great state, by the way, but, you know, that part where you live most of the time during bird season, uh, too cold for me. But, um, but <laughs> you, you have th- this panorama of bird hunting opportunities in Montana, and you've chosen forest grouse why i i grew up chasing rough grouse it is that simple that's yeah, the easiest yeah. that's the easiest answer i'm going to give you today uh-huh. yeah the easiest answer yeah i grew up in new england i grew up in new hampshire um 
boy, you can you can you can you can take a boy out of uh, rough grouse country, but you can't take rough grouse out of a boy. I think that's all I'd have to say. About well, I get that. it. Yeah. yeah, and and you know, it's a, everybody's got a comfort zone, and uh, why not honor that? Yeah, I I, I think that's a, that's actually that's a, that's actually very good insight. Uh, I, I mean, I love to hunt on the prairie. Mm-hmm. Many years ago, I thought about starting an operation over on the prairie. Well, I say prairie, you know, central yeah. Montana. Yeah, you know, the you plains. Know what I mean? yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly, Scott, the plains, right? Um, but it is kind of outside my comfort zone. I love to mm-hmm. hunt over there. I love mm-hmm. to have fun over there. Um, but uh, but I am I am just super comf- comfortable and feel really at home in rough grouse country. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm the opposite. Um, but that's okay. Uh, we'll cross paths somewhere in between one and the other yeah, yeah. someday soon. Um, heading out that way again this fall. So maybe we'll connect somewhere where there's a craft Anytime. brewer Anytime. and some sharp tails. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, if you were to tell us, uh, uh, to stop doing certain things when we're hunting forest grouse and be like, don't be that guy or don't do that thing, whatever it is, what is it? I would say don't spend too much time in a cover. Yeah, yeah. I would say that's, that's I would say I would say, I I um. I say this jokingly, Scott, but in the words of Che Guevara, "Get in, do the damage, and get out." And that's the that's kind of the way I hunt <laughs> rough grouse covers. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, get get in, bang around, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I was joking. I'm not sure. Someone someone once said that to me, and I hope that wasn't inappropriate. But you know, the the, the, the sort of get in, bang around, and get back out again. You know what I mean? And they, yeah. if they're not in there. If they're not in there, go to another place. Don't spend too much time. Don't don't put don't park the truck and walk for four hours chasing ruffed grouse. It's mm-hmm. not. It's not quite the same thing as hunting pheasant sharpies or huns to that end. That's what that's what I would that's what I would tell people. Don't do that. Look for look for if you're driving forest roads in in anywheresville, rough grouse country, USA. Uh, find you know park the truck at a place that looks like good grouse habitat. Get in. Give it a half hour, 45 minutes, maybe an hour or so. If you don't find them, get out, go to the next place. But don't get concrete feet, so to speak. You know what I mean? Don't stay in yeah. the same place. Yeah, that fits my personality perfectly. I love yeah, that idea. Yeah, they're, um, they're very different. You know what I mean? They're very, very different. They can they can move within a cover. Um, you know, let's say that you have a you have a 50 acre or uh, whatever I don't know 150 200 acres. Pick pick a pick a you know pick a pick an area. It's not it's not quite like on the prairie where you can just go and go and go and it's all basically good grasslands, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to like very specific things, maybe maybe more specific things than than prairie birds. I mean, prairie birds do need cover and they need food and they need a bit of water. Uh, but 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 I think that forest grouse are a little bit different insofar as they like maybe 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 their maybe their habitat is a little bit more refined maybe a little bit more not refined but maybe their habitat is a little bit more um um definitive there you go I, yeah 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 you know when you mentioned water or moisture at least four times it, it sounds like that that would be one of the things i would want to look for all, all, out here where i hunt ruffies it's almost always some sort of a water course it, it is literally moving water yeah yeah uh, but that's because yeah. we live in the high desert so if we find anything if we find water that that's probably where it's going to be yeah is is, is there brush too scott oh yeah it no it's all yeah. it's all of that but instead yeah. of a seep or a spring yeah it's a creek yeah i'll be darned yeah okay yep yep and that's where the food is too right 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 yeah that, yeah that's probably why yeah, well, good. any any in, any gear in your vest in your truck hanging off your dog or hanging off you that is unique to you know forest grouse hunting. You know, I don't think so. I mean, I've talked to a lot of colleagues about that, um, and and I think that if you're if you're running dogs and you're chasing birds, there, it's pretty much a you know you it's a pretty standard operation to that end. Yeah. Um, the only, maybe the only difference is I kind of don't need as much water as you guys need, right? Where there's a lot yeah. of water in my country, yeah. right? They can yep. usually find a little spring seep or something like my dogs can find a little spring seep to find, you know, to find water. Um, the only difference would be blue grouse is different. I have to, 
I have to carry, you know, uh, quartz and a gallon of water because we're sure. going to be up on the slopes and there wouldn't be necessarily any water up on the, on the, you know, the open slopes. But, but I, but I think that, you know, I think that the, the only difference or, or, or to answer the question, not necessarily, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not, 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 I wouldn't, I probably am carrying the same things in my vest that you're carrying sure. when you go. Yeah. yeah. And um, one final question for a guy who does this for a living. You're, you're out there doing something with paying clients 150 days a year. Um, w- what is the one dumb thing that we all do that you wish we wouldn't do if we're going with a guide, or even if we're not going with a guide? <laughs> uh, I would. It may. It may or may not. It may or may not be dumb. Um, but but I would say. I would say. What the most common um, uh, theme that maybe guides don't necessarily want to see people show up with, and that is uh, tremendous expectations. In the end, Mother Nature is going to do whatever she wants to do. And in the end, I'm repeating myself now, but in the end, we go hunting and we go fishing. That's what we do, Scott. It's the journey, not the destination. That's it. Amen, brother. Yep. Tim Linehan, you can learn more about him and all of his guiding operations at, um, where the heck, what, what did I do? Fish, <laughs> fishmontana.com. There it is. Uh, all there, learn all about where he's going and what he's doing. I can't wait to get uh, somewhere out into that country again real soon. Until then, that's where you learn more about him. Tim, it's always fun to talk with you. We'll do it again. In the meanwhile, uh, go rip some lips. I appreciate you, Scott. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. And the rest of you, don't go nowhere. We got a lot more to talk about. The Upland Nation glossary is on the letter N. And we have some unwritten rules you wish your fellow hunters would follow. It's all coming up right after these brief messages. First, from Dr. Tim's natural performance dog food. Man, every day I'm learning more about how important uh, dog food can be for your dog's performance in the field, but also for his long-term health and welfare. Dr. Tim Hunt has figured all that out. He's got a formulation for just about any life stage for any kind of a dog. Flicks on the momentum formula, a little bit hotter, more protein and more fat, but that's what he needs to burn calories every day out there in the high desert behind our place, let alone when we're chasing chuckers. Learn more and get 30% off your first order. Just go to drtims.com. Free delivery. Use the code UPLANDNATION at D-R-T-I-M-S dot com. And you know, the supply chain thing, it's still an issue for a lot of people for a lot of things. I was talking with my FFL guy earlier today about getting guns. Can't wait to break that new um, pointer shotgun out of the box. But if you're looking for your own new gun or your own new gear, midvalleyclays.com might have something you can't find somewhere else. Lots of shooting related apparel at midvalleyclays.com from Beretta, Shooter King, Wild Hair, my good friends there, my friends at Browning, Shoot the Moon and Ms. Mac, they're all at midvalleyclays.com. Hey, including that Browning vest that you might recognize a little bit. I sure did. I helped redesign it at one point. Take a look at the Browning vest uh, and all the other things they have to offer in the pro shop at midvalleyclays.com. They might have something you need and can't find anywhere else. All right, time for the Upland Nation Glossary. Uh, this week we're on the ends and this one is dear and dear to my heart because the first time i competed in a national shoot to retrieve association field trial that's n-s-t-r-a pronounced nastra uh i'm proud of myself because me and my dog at the time i think it was yankee uh, well he went to obedience school on a athletic scholarship Anyway, me and Yankee get back from our run, sit down and look at the board, and we were not last. 
once you're not last, you can't ever be last for the day. So uh, that's my one Nastra memory, and it'll be indelibly etched forever. Thank you, Yankee, for not embarrassing me. All your problems were operator error. Okay, this is becoming the funnest part of the Upland Nation podcast. I ask a question on one of our Facebook pages, and you give me some answers. Apparently, you like it, too, uh, from the number of people who provide the answers. Uh, this time, I ask, what are some unwritten rules you wish more of your fellow hunters would follow? Boy, oh, boy. Some insights there. All the usual stuff, safety first, etc. Don't drink and then shoot, etc., etc. Here are some of the more interesting answers. Marty Davis says, flushing dogs are basically failures. Okay, hold it. Just hear me out. That's what Marty says. A flush is a failed catch. So when hunting with flushers and the dog gets birdie, get close to the dog for a close shot. When or if she fails remember if the dog catches a bird don't be mad that's its job that's pretty insightful marty thank you for that sean couch amen don't give commands to my dogs yeah so sabrina serna just one friendly reminder muzzle safety times three wait times four greg paddock near and dear to my heart don't bring cheap beer for your friends John Hyde has a very insightful suggestion. If you know your dog's a big running dog, position yourself or ask for a position in the field that will not conflict with other people's closer running dogs. Great idea. We do this all the time. I have a friend who has a really old Labrador and, and I love hunting with both of them. And uh, you've read about some of them or seen their pictures in some of my magazine articles. But anyway, uh, it works great for us because old Buster, he's at 15 or 20 yards out there and flicks it 150 to 400 yards. Perfect. No birds escape the two dueling noses. Rashawn Gordon, among others, only shoot birds over points, never shoot birds on the ground. Pick up your empties uh, near it. You know, that was a recurring motif. And then uh, one more. I think we have time for one more. Uh, Tony Arneson, among others. Shh, very, very quiet. Amen to that. Whether you're chasing rabbits or anything else, right, Tony? Yeah. What's up, Doc? Great suggestions, all of you. Keep up the good work. Love learning something from you every time we ask a question like that on Facebook. And with that, I will remind you that we are brought to you in part by the Huron, South Dakota Ringneck Nation. Learn more at HuntHuronSD.com. One of my favorite places. I'll be there again October 27th. And who knows how long I'll be staying because some of you might be coming along on the FurFeathersFriends.com somewhat annual gathering i should put it that way we picked that place because number one if you're looking for fellowship and a little friendly competition they got the ringneck festival and the bird dog challenge oh and they also have 124,000 acres of public access get more information it's all free maps discounts coupons information of all sorts at hunthuronsd.com with that, I will thank you for listening. I will thank everybody who leaves a rating and a review. And if you'll do me a big favor, do that. No matter where you listen, if it's Apple Podcasts, all the better. But it doesn't matter. Remember, we grow one listener at a time here at the Upland Nation Podcast, which is made possible by Roughland Kennels, Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Dr. Tim's Natural Performance Dog Food, Mid Valley Clays, Ringneck Nation of Huron, South Dakota, and FurFeathersFriends.com. Hey, until we meet in the field, I'm looking forward to meeting you on the range. Thanks for listening.